time I preached, we were outside, so it seems like it's been a long time since I've been here. Oh, please be seated. I'm sorry. That happens sometimes. We forget to tell people to sit. I did that at my first wedding I did, and everybody was standing, and I was like a third of the way through the wedding, and all of a sudden I realized it, and I'm like, please sit. (laughs) So it happens. Our youngest son, Brett, was born way back on May 5th of 1987, and the fact is, is it seems like yesterday, but it was long ago. Brett's 34 years old. And I can tell you that that makes a dad feel old. But I am not old. Ask my wife. I refuse to grow up. I pray that I never forget how to play. But anyway, after Brett was born, Mary and I planned to have at least one more child. When we first got married, Mary wanted four kids. I wanted two kids. Um, But I was good with just having one more, having that second child. And, And the fact of the matter is, is, Deep down, I wanted a girl because I always thought that I would be a great dad to a girl. She'd be spoiled, totally rotten. Anyway, the plan was to have our second child about two to three years after Brett was born. But there was just one minor problem with that. Getting pregnant with that second child didn't happen quite the way we had anticipated went as far as trying some fertility-type treatments, and they didn't work, and Mary had side effects, and she didn't like those side effects. Um, At times, it got to be a little bit frustrating. Nothing seemed to work, and so finally, finally, we just said, you know what? We're just going to give up. We're going to give up. I made plans for the third bedroom to be my home office in the house. And I was happy. I decided, you know what, I didn't need a second child. Brett was certainly enough. Brett filled our lives with joy. And of course, most of you know where this is headed. Something unexpected happened. Once we stopped trying to get pregnant, Mary got pregnant. And it was a blessing. And and as I tell you that, I'd like to say that I was really excited about having a second child. But I actually wasn't. I had decided one child was enough. My life was completely full. I wasn't looking for another Salem kid. I didn't think that I could love a second child as much as I loved Brett. Well, God proved me wrong. I think he gets enjoyment out of proving me wrong. I don't always like it, but I've learned to be good with it. Adam was born on May 5th, 1991, and within hours, I loved Adam every bit as much as I loved Brett. And as my family has grown in the years since, so has my ability to love. I didn't think it was possible. God proved to me that I could love more. It's amazing. You know, love can be all-consuming in a wonderful powerful way. It's all consuming. I I don't fully understand how this abundance of love works. And yet I've seen people, people I know, people in this church who are overflowing with love. And it's a beautiful thing. True love comes out of God's love 
for us. And the love that we have for Him. And sometimes that love can be overwhelming. And it certainly can be all-consuming. Of course, we remember God is the source of love. And the more we love God, the more love God pours into us. He keeps filling us over and over again. And that, my friends, is how God uses you and me to change the world. This is the fourth week of a message series that's titled uh, A New You in Christ. We've been going through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, as Pastor David mentioned just a few minutes ago. And as you heard in that scripture reading, we're now in Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to see how God fills us not only with love, but He fills us with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that filling, that filling makes you and I new. Now going back to the very first verses of the chapter, some that we didn't read, Paul again here spoke of the mystery and knowledge of God the Father and Jesus Christ. And he did this so that the Colossians would not be deluded by the false teachers or the false teacher who were present in the church. Paul wanted the Colossians to have a very clear picture of who Jesus is, what he had done, and what he continues to do. But then Paul continued and he rejoiced at the faith of the Colossians. And Paul reminded his readers that they were to walk in Christ. A reminder to us as well, we are to live as new creations in Christ. And as such, that means that you and I are united to Christ. And to be united, to be in union with Christ, means you and I belong to Jesus. He is ours, and we are His. Union in Christ means that we will share in Christ's glory. But it also means that we'll share in His suffering. The fact is, is we suffer as we walk in the truth. Being a Christian, being a Christian isn't always easy. God calls us to live a different way than, than the world. And when you're different, some people don't like you. And that be, can be hard, but we still we have to remember that we have Jesus. And Jesus gives us joy. In our passage, Paul reassures us that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And his reassurance actually comes in the form of a few basic truths. See, that everything we need begins and ends with us being filled with Christ. And that's the first basic truth. Paul provides in this passage to give us reassurance. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus fills us with the things of God. God fills us with love. He teaches us how to love. He gives us hope, hope for today and the future. And we grow in wisdom. And the most amazing thing about this is we have an assurance. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. You can sum it all up by saying we're full of Jesus. That's not just a good thing. It's the best thing. In verses 9 and 10, Paul stated, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. See, right here in the beginning of verse 9, Paul's going back to that major theme in Colossians. He's saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus has all authority. That means he's got authority over everything. And that's great, and it's true, and I think that's something that we need to be reminded of very often. We must never forget it. Jesus just wasn't a good teacher. He's the creator, the sustainer, and the giver of life. But if you notice that, Paul just didn't stop there. 
He went on to say something about those who trust in Jesus. Paul said, you have been filled in him. I'll say it again. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, you are full of Jesus. Remember that. And what's so crazy about this being filled is, as Ken Hughes wrote, he said, our souls are elastic. And so to speak, there are no limits to their possible capacity. We can always hold more and more of Jesus' fullness. From a a practical standpoint, that means that we have been given wisdom. We have been given courage and strength and faith. We've got enough of that to face any obstacle. The Holy Spirit is with us. But it also says that that wisdom, strength, faith, and courage can grow. And it can never stop growing. The more we walk in Christ, the more we come to know Jesus and live more for Jesus. And the more we do that, the more we're filled with Jesus. We've got everything. We have everything we need in this life. Another truth that Paul speaks of here is that we're set apart. To say set apart is another way to say holy. Paul referred to our being set apart in verses 11 and 12 of our passage. He wrote this, he said, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul's readers were very familiar with physical circumcision. All good Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day. Paul even mentions his own circumcision in another letter. Circumcision is a physical cutting away of flesh. But that's different from what Paul was speaking of in these verses. Paul was writing of a a spiritual circumcision. Through Christ, we have been transferred from the flesh into the realm of the spirit. Our sinful nature has been cut away. We belong to Jesus. Deuteronomy 16.10 speaks of the circumcision of our hearts. We're set apart. And the fact is, is that sounds great. Sounds great to be set apart, to be holy. But, but maybe you're, you're sitting there this morning, you're kind of wondering, well, what, is it, what does that really mean to me today? What does that really mean in my life when I leave this church? So let me try to explain it in a more practical way. We are in the world. We're part of it. We live in a culture. We live in the United States, in St. Louis, Missouri, in a certain time. And on the surface, you and I look pretty much like everybody else. But we're not of the world. Being a Christian means that we are different. And that's different, that being set apart shows up in many ways. See, it, it shows up in the the husband who praises his wife while his co-workers are talking their wives down. That being so set apart shows up in a teenager who is willing to give of his own money, even though he doesn't have that much, to a homeless person. Being set apart is seen in an exhausted mom that still makes time to help others. It shows in the manager who gets into trenches with those who report to him. Or the retired couple who befriends neighbors, neighborhood kids. Or maybe it shows up, that set apart shows up in the family that is always looking for someone new to 
right thing. And maybe that set apart shows up in a teenager who has enough faith and is bold enough to share his faith with another teenager. And if a teenager can share his faith, why is it so hard for the rest of us to do the same? If you're a Christian, you've been set apart. And the question is, is how God has specifically called you in your life to be set apart. And that's a question I think we all need to answer. And think about it. What has God called you to do as His child? How can you serve in Jesus' name? Being set apart also includes our union with Christ. Paul said we were united to Christ as we were buried with Him in baptism. And baptism here signifies Jesus' death and resurrection. The circumcision of Christ is His death and resurrection. Galatians 2.20 states, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In a few minutes, some of you are probably wondering what this contraption is up here. Well, two young men are going to be baptized. Braxton and Christian. They put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Braxton happens to be one of those teens who regularly shares his faith with his friends. Christian texted me. He said, my baptism represents Jesus' death and resurrection. Bingo. For these two young men, baptism is their proclamation of what Christ has already done in their lives. Paul says we're not only to be set apart, but we're also to be dead to sin. Verse 13 reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. In Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote this. He said, We are no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Ephesians 2.1 says it well in the New Living Translation. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. A few verses later, God says, or uh, Ephesians says, God raised us to be just like Jesus. We are alive. To be dead to sin means that sin is no longer our master. We don't have to give in to temptation. Sin doesn't rule our hearts. Jesus has set us free. And and the question, though, the question that haunts all of us is this. If I'm dead to my sins, well, why do I keep going back to the same sins? And I think if we're very honest, we all do it to some degree. See, being dead to sin doesn't mean that we don't sin. It means we're no longer slaves to sin. It doesn't control us. It doesn't rule us. But very sadly, Some of us still live like sin is our master. I want to give you a real-life example from history. After the Civil War, the the slaves were set free. They no longer belonged to their master. But many of them didn't leave. They didn't know where to go. And so they stayed in the very place 
help them figure it. And in a sense, we want to be like that. We're free. And we don't know what to do with that freedom. The proverb says it's like a dog who returns to his vomit after he's eaten. And that's pretty gross. And you've probably seen it. But our sins are gross. And yet we keep going back to them, just like a dog to vomit. And if that's our life, the fact of the matter is we're missing experiencing true freedom in Christ. Maybe you're like me. I've, I've learned that over the years that if I focus on a particular sin that I don't want to commit, it actually makes it that much tougher. I'm thinking about that all day. And the more I think about it, the more I want to give into it. And it just shows that that sin is still holding me prisoner. A, a better approach is to replace that sin with something of God. Focus on Jesus. Paul told us to, to think about the things that are pure and praiseworthy. Get your mind busy. Get your body busy serving in the name of Jesus. God will give you strength. It works. I'm not saying you still won't fail. You will. But God makes those failures less frequent. Sin will not own you. dead to sin also means we're forgiven. Jesus fills our life with forgiveness. And some of us can't accept that. It seems too good to be true. We think about the things we've done and we say, God can't forgive me for that, but it is true. Trust it. Believe in it. Live a life that's based on freedom, that's built on freedom. Listen to what Paul said. God made us alive, made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul there says, speaks of a record of debt. We're all familiar with that. I mean, if you've got a car loan, if you've got a mortgage, you owe the bank. There's a record of your financial debt. And that house and that car aren't totally yours. If you want to keep those things, You've got to pay off the debt. And it's the same with our sins. We sin against other people. Sometimes we do it unintentionally. Sometimes we're very intentional about it. We sin against ourselves. But as David wrote in Psalm 51, all of our sin is ultimately against God. If, if what you or someone else is doing goes against the truth of the Bible... I don't care what culture says, if it goes against the truth of the Bible, it's a sin against God. People say it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, what about God? It's a sin against Him. And every one of us owes God for our debt of sin. Sin separates us from God. God can't let sin into heaven, and so therefore there was a bill that needed to be paid. And the problem for us is we don't have the funds to pay it. But you know this, God had the solution. There's a, there's a song that says it well. It says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Period. Jesus canceled our sin debt. He wrote the check. Our balance is paid in full. And he did it by nailing our sins to the cross. He forgave our sins. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. 
Now, before we move on, though, I've got a couple of things I just feel like I need to say about forgiveness. And, and the first one is this, is as we have been forgiven by Jesus, we are to forgive other people. If you're carrying hurt or anger or a grudge for something someone did to you last week, last month, or last year, the fact is we need to forgive them. If we don't, that hurt and anger will only fester. It will ooze into other areas of our life. And the only person that we hurt when we're not forgiving is ourselves. But then second, and this is important, forgiving someone doesn't mean you allow them to hurt you, lie to you, or break your trust again. In cases where that other person doesn't change, where they don't repent, if they continue to hurt you, if they continue to break your trust, we still need to forgive. But, and you might say this is a big but, we need to protect ourselves. Don't let someone continue to hurt you. If they repeatedly do that, do not let them back into your life. The last truth in this passage of Jesus providing everything we need is found in verse 15. Paul writes, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection disarmed Satan and his demons. Jesus defeated the the devil. Jesus defeated death. He overcame. He put those forces of evil to open shame, Paul says. The the wording in the original Greek pictures a, a very triumphant parade of the victors. And the defeated, they can only watch in dismay. Imagine Jesus saying to all the minions of evil, I won. You lost. Be a winner. That's what Christ did on the cross. Jesus' triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. Through Christ, we are the victors. And victory means eternal life is ours. And eternal life with Christ began the day you accepted Jesus. Jesus is with you today to guide you and protect you. His presence with you will never end. You will be with Him in heaven for eternity. And, and what that means is that you and I, we have no reason to worry. We have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason to fear what may happen in this life. Our being full of Jesus should have a pro- profound effect on the way we live. We're on the winning team. We are people of joy. We are people whose hope is secure. So the fact of the matter is we need to live like it. Paul told us we're set apart. When people look at you, when people look at me, they should see the hope and the joy that is in us. They should see the power of Jesus working through us. We're in the world, but we're different than the world. We're new people in Christ. And we're dead to sin. And we're forgiven. And and i got to say that. Believe it. Accept it. Forgive others. Don't look back. The mercies of God are new every single morning. Every day is an opportunity to experience freedom in Christ. And through Christ, we are the victors. And we might get beat up in life. 
And some of us are pretty good at beating ourselves up. Because we're never defeated. You are a winner in Christ. Don't let anyone tell you anything less. It's simply not true. When Jesus fills you with those truths, living that new life in Christ is possible. Today I found myself after searching all these years, and the man that I saw wasn't at all who I thought he'd be. I was lost when you found me here, I was broken beyond repair. Then you came along, you sang your song over me. I'm born again Feels like I'm living For the very first time For the very first time In my life 
I have a feeling in my soul, and I pray that I'm not wrong, that the life I have now, it is only the beginning. Feels like I'm born again, feels like I'm living for the very first Then you came to me, and you gave to me life and the love that I'd never known, that I'd never felt before. Feels like I'm born again. Feels like I'm born again. Feels like I'm living for the very first time. For the very first time. For the very first time. Feels like I'm breathing. Feels like I'm breathing. Feels like I'm moving. Feels like I'm moving. For the very first time. For the very first time. I'm living for the first time. Living for the first time. In my life. I have to say that some songs that you're like, just do it again. Just, just keep going. This time I'd like to have Braxton and Christian come forward. Braxton can come like a grandson to you. This is a young man of very strong faith, and a young man that's not afraid to stand on his truth. Christian, I'm just getting to know you, but I also know that your faith is blossoming, and that's a beautiful thing to see. Let us pray. Lord, may we who are baptized in the death of Jesus Christ continue to put to death our sinful desires. And may we pass from death to resurrection life through the work of him who died, was buried and rose again. For us, your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I wanted to take just a minute kind of to share the meaning of baptism with you. Baptism is a holy sacrament or it's called an ordinance. Appointed by Christ as an outward sign of the fellowship with the family of believers, Christ's church. 
Throughout biblical history, God promised to bless through a covenantal relationship with His people. He said to Abraham, I will be a God to you and your children after you. Abraham believed God's covenant and promise and devoted all that he had to the Lord, including the members of his household. In obedience to God, Abraham showed his his devotion through practicing the rite of circumcision in his household. This rite demonstrated that God's covenant would pass to future generations. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul told us that the believers that the sign of the covenant has changed. No longer foreshadowing the shedding of Christ's blood, the New Testament sacrament or ordinance of baptism is a sign of what Christ's blood accomplishes. The washing away of sin, and thus our union with Him. Now the water itself doesn't wash away sin, but rather it's a sign of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, union with Christ's church, single devotion to Jesus' love, and new life in Christ. Jesus spoke to His disciples and commissioning them, and He said to them, He said, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we must remember that baptism is not a saving sacrament. Our good deeds and actions don't save us. We're saved only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul wrote that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so now I present Christian Orbendorfer and Braxton John for baptism. Now I'm going to have you guys just answer a couple questions to publicly proclaim your faith. I told them ahead of time it's only like a three-minute testimony that they got to hear. Do you know that you are God's child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If so, say, I do. Realizing that our good works don't save us, and that salvation comes only through grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you trust in Jesus, giving yourself to Him as your Savior, and asking Him to forgive your sins? If so, say, I do. Is it your earnest desire to follow Christ and death to your old self, your old life, and walk with Him in the newness of life? If so, say, it is. Do you promise to devote yourself to the teaching of the Bible, to the fellowship of believers, to the breaking of bread and communion, and to prayer? If so, say, I promise with the help of God. You guys are going to go behind. Uh, let my hands go first. had a heater going, but it didn't heat it very much. <laughs> Just wondering. 
Rexon, upon your confession of faith in, he, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Obendorfer, upon your confession of faith as Jesus is, is your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the baptism of Christian and Braxton. We ask that you be with them as they walk in your light. Help them to follow you, to read your word, to take part in communion, and to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask you to be with all of us who are present. Help us to encourage one another and these young men in their life in Christ. We thank you now for the gift of new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One more round of applause.